0: Hi, this is a Conversations with Creatives podcast for Opus. In today's episode, called I Wonder, we'll be hearing from three artists. Salan Bouillet, Cody LeCoy, and Paige Bowman. As the world continues to work through the challenges that the last few years have brought, and we navigate the complexities from the COVID hangover, it's easy to feel personally besieged and in a state of chaos. But it's the start of a fresh year, and now is the perfect moment to reflect upon, reorganize and reimagine our creative futures. How can we settle the noise down and come back to what is important? What do we want to make of 2023 as individuals or as artists? With all that's going on in the world around us, taking the time to consider these questions, to make our plans and to get back into a routine can bring a great deal of comfort and a sense of purpose. From there, we can find balance and ground ourselves and find something meaningful to create in a chaotic world. Celan Bouillet is a mixed media painter and installation artist. Her upbringing in the American South influenced her love of spinning a good tale, textiles and sublime landscapes. A graduate of the Maryland Institute College of Art, Bouillet is a Vermont Studio Centre Fellow and a two-time recipient of the Houston Artists Association Individual Artist Grant. Celan's work has been featured in numerous publications, such as Art Maze Mag, Create Magazine, Houstonia Magazine, and Houston Chronicle.
1: Hi, I'm Salon Bouillet. I'm a mixed media painter based here in Vancouver, and I paint fantastical landscapes that look at our relationship with the natural world and then how we inhabit it. So when we first moved here, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, so early 2020, and I moved here with my newborn and a three-year-old. So it's a very (laughs) interesting time. And I was um, very excited to move to Vancouver. It's a beautiful place um, and scenery that I wasn't familiar with. So mountains and lakes and these clouds that shift over the mountains. Um, And it's an interesting way to watch the time pass. But when I moved here, everything was shut down and we didn't know anyone. Um, So I found myself doing really tiny sketches. And so I would do these black and white drawings of landscapes that I wish I could go to. So I I feel like during that time, a lot of artists were either very prolific and they were just getting everything out or artists found it difficult to work because of everything that was happening. And I was one of the artists that found it difficult to work. And so I, I just kept these little sketches. So these little tiny escapes. Um, and they're just for me. And after about a year, I started making colorful, large scale works again, and then I knew that I was feeling better. My work shifted in unexpected ways where I was still painting these fantastical worlds and worlds that I wanted to escape to. And so there was even more of that escapism, that fan bay, uh, that longing for faraway places, but also wanting to feel protected. So I was watching, I paid so much attention to the moon and the sun and these, these constants that everyone can see. And so in my, a lot of my new work, you'll see the sun or the moon. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. I would go on these walks during that time in Vancouver, um, just around the neighborhood. And I would look. the moon and I would look for Mount Baker because at that time we couldn't cross back over into the U.S. too. And so that was home for me because I was looking over and I could see home, but I couldn't pass over those invisible borders. And so a lot of the new work also had a lot of barriers in the way between you and this person or this object that was in a distance because you were trying to get to somewhere else. I think that a lot of the new work for me, um, I the new body of work that I made for the past two years while I've been here was titled Field Guide to Getting Lost. or well, Staying Lost. <laughs> and so it's about wanting to just enjoy your surroundings and feeling at peace with where you are too. I keep folders of just thousands of images from travels, from home. Um, It could be plants that I've seen. It could be rocks that I collect in my studio. A lot of the landscapes are from my travels um, when we could actually travel. So um, Singapore, Australia, like these really lush um, botanicals. And then Houston as well with their cacti and like uh, interesting colors. And so I have a little bits of pieces. I I like um, my landscapes to not be a recognizable place. So even if I use an image, um, I still want that escapism. And so I'll make sure that it doesn't resemble too closely the images that I've taken. I'm a chronic sketchbooker, so I'll have tiny images, like I said, for that year, I kept these little images, but I'll paint landscapes and I'll, I do, I'm a huge reader too. Uh, some of my pieces, like the one behind me, I'll paint tiny books and hand paint the titles and the spines. And so I'll read articles or hear something like about micrometeorites or American trees are all moving west and no one knows why. Um, so these little headlines that capture your imagination. So I'll use those uh, for jumping art, jumping off points. I do bases of acrylic paint where I let the paint flow and become really expressive um, and then go in with high defined detail on top with oil. And I use I block off a lot of areas using frisket, and it's these large rolls of frisket. So frisket is a material that a lot of watercolorists know as like the little bottles of white where it blocks off areas before you go in. But the frisket that I use is like a big sticker, and a lot of um, airbrushers will use this material. So I use it to tape off areas and then fill it in with acrylic and molding paste where it looks as though it's collaged on the canvas. It's really important to me that my work makes people stop and have a moment of calm, um, a moment of joy, of introspection. I love seeing how people respond to my work and how it will bring out stories and their own histories. Um, So these shared narratives and they'll find things in my work that sometimes I've missed. <laughs> so I enjoy watching other people look at that work and seeing it transport them to somewhere else as though it's a portal. Yeah. So bringing a little bit more joy, a little bit more color, and a little bit of whimsy. <laughs> Composition is really important to me. And because I because I play with uh, these fantastical elements, I don't use traditional perspective. Um, I like for my pieces to have multiple narratives, this continuous, not a place to begin and end, but a continuous narrative of free, free flowing space, um, more like in Eastern art. So. You're looking at many different stories happening at the same time. My pieces are very busy. They play with pattern um, and these odd perspectives to bring you in. I I love this film that was made by David Hockney, where he was following a scroll and like this continuous story. And I love that idea that a narrative will never end, like a, you're just going and seeing something new every single time. A breakthrough piece that I've had recently was a year and a half ago um, when I started painting in color again. And I I was feeling tight and controlled because I'd been doing all of these small drawings. And so I just started laying paint on the page. And I wanted it to be bright and... I didn't want to think too much about what colors I was using. And so it was the first piece for Field Guide for Saying Lost. And it was this figure that was lost in these washes of pinks and oranges and yellows with abstract trees coming in around her as though they're sheltering her. But she's also blending into her environment. So the way that I handled the paint in that piece was a breakthrough for me that's pushed me into my next body of work um, where I'm being more playful with my paint application. I'm not worrying too much about the blobs or what ends up on the surface. I let it all be. So those, the chalk marks, the, the small blobs of oil paints, I let it be a record I don't try to erase it. Um, It's like a palimpsest where there's layers of little things that um, you paint over. And so that piece was a stepping stone for me. I'm excited about 2023. So I have several public art projects coming up. I feel like I've been in hibernation. (laughs) And so I opened up my studio this past year in Vancouver. Um, I was just having a home studio, and now I'm out in the community, which has been really wonderful. I want to play with ceramics. I've dabbled in the past, but I really want to have a full body of work. And so I'm playing with my ideas right now of what I want those to look like. And I want to play more with installation. So I've filled rooms with patterns and cut shapes, in the past, but I want to do more of that and play more with layering and transparent papers. Um, So I think that this is a big year for me as far as exploration goes. Because of where we were in the past two years um, with two young kids at home and being a mom and having an art practice, thinking I'm going to jump straight into, you know, the Vancouver art scene. Um, (laughs) That's really important to me as well, to get more out into the community, get to know the artists here, um, because that, that sense of community is so important to me Um, and finding that tribe and being inspired by other artists. And so I'm going to make an effort to get out and go to, all of the shows and be supportive um, of my new community. I'm also looking at doing a body of work that's a travel journal through BC because I don't know the landscape very well yet. It's not a landscape that I paint. I don't paint these mountains um, and these vast uh, lakes and clouds hovering over and so I want to look and see how I can translate these landscapes through my eyes, uh, through the eyes of an immigrant. I've, I'm from the U.S., but I crossed a border, and I am now an immigrant, which is also a strange thing. So I want to look at these new landscapes and explore a bit more. So I'm you know, and explore from the 18th century and looking at, um, you know, these plants in any way and the lakes and the mountains. So that would also be in this coming year. I did a commission for United Airlines and my daughter was traveling with my husband and she was passing by my painting. She's like, that is mommy's painting. That is mommy's. Mommy is famous. (laughs) And it is by far like my my favorite memory (laughs) of seeing my daughter respond to this work and knowing which pieces are mine. And this piece in particular is really special because I was in my studio and she would work a lot with me in my studio as well. And she, um, I was about to deliver this finished piece and I had placed you know, I'd let my oil, the top layer of oil, dry for six weeks, but it was very thick oil. And she went up and pressed her thumbprint into one of the, one of the blooms, and it had to be delivered. And I love that her little thumbprint is in this painting. No one else will know that it's there. No one else can see it, but I know that her little thumbprint will forever be in this painting. Um, and that's really beautiful to me. So it's these special moments um, of being an artist and a mom and watching how your children respond to the work. And I'll ask my daughter, because she has a good eye, of, what do you think about this? Do you think this is this is the, the right color? Do you like this combination? And she'll say, no, no, I like this better. And, I, and I'll agree with her yeah I just need a confirmation I'm going to use my children um and then they'll just seeing them draw next to me as well as a really beautiful thing. Cody
0: LeCoy was born in Richmond British Columbia in 1989. He is an artist of Salix and Lekwungen ancestry. Most of his work is acrylic on canvas using northwest coast formal design elements and surreal expressionism to create a visceral response that connects us to the environment. Cody has been the recipient of two consecutive scholarship awards from the YVR Art Foundation in 2011 and 2012.
2: My name is Cody Wakoy and I'm a painter, muralist and also learning to carve as well. My work has largely been influenced by um, my Indigenous background. I'd say I place the creative expression at the forefront of my values. And it's something that has been a vehicle to express and um, understand my identity. I think before I came to art, it was something that I grappled with and didn't quite understand where I stood in the world. But as I made art and developed uh, confidence and and just a deeper appreciation of my roots and, and being able to express that and add upon the traditions and the knowledge that were passed on, it gave me a standing within, first of all, my own identity, an appreciation for my family and the upbringing I had, and then the community um, beyond that a lot of it has to do with technological mediation on um, ourselves and and how that influences perception and and the way we go about in the world it can kind of be daunting as an individual to be amongst a, a sea of people and viewpoints but by being able to express, my own worldview through my art. It it really situates my own uniqueness and story as opposed to the uniformity that that exists with with technology. I like surrealism because it it allows me to portray those subjective feelings that I have with the world and then to express those uh, feelings and thoughts through through colors and tone and texture and um, and atmosphere, in my in my mind, I'm able to portray inner states amongst external environments within the same plane, and and I, I really like trying to get that across. As much as it's a individual expression of uh, my story and upbringing and and those are around me that have influenced that i I would say the impact that i would like to share also goes to the root of universal commonalities that we share and and that within the world we are at a time of um, great connectivity and um, the ability to share thoughts and stories and and reflections on the world and instead of being at a place where people are pitted against each other and, um, and there's this sort of binary thinking of right and wrong on any subject. Uh, my, my hope is that uh, the art I make serves to show common ground where people can come together within subjects and concepts that uh, affect all of us within, within this time period. The piece that I felt like helped break me into the the themes that I'm still continuing to explore was called mycelium and it was um, drawing upon metaphors of uh, nature and technology and the mycelium are um, underground root networks that uh, exist within forests and I I think they're a, a fungal network that allow for communication between organisms and the whole ecosystem of a forest is really complex and intricate. So I was interested in how first that exists within an ecosystem, but there are parallels between how the roots are could be like veins within our, our body and arteries and, and signals are being sent within our body as well to have us live in this really complex but simple and profound system so I wanted to first portray those parallels between the body and nature and then between nature and technology having similar um, systems of uh, of design and and I, I really felt like that piece helped pave a way for further development of paintings and i ended up with a series i called digital natives which explored our relationship to technology and technological mediation and how that influenced thoughts beliefs and behaviors so i i I really like that one because it displayed the organic but it also displayed the synthetic uh, portrayal of of nature in my own practice i've i've had to take a step back and also look at my process of image making and how i'll be using references on a phone and and i'll be looking through the world through the a handheld device and and getting only there's only so much you can get from that it's, it's really just a mental picture i've had the experience of being able to uh, say visit, uh, old growth forests and, and really appreciate how everything's connected there, how, uh, the older trees that fall to the ground floor become nutrients and then they become spread and then new life comes up through that. and, And all the animals that are within that ecosystem, you really have to be there to experience it as opposed to looking it up on a phone and trying to, uh, Get the same feel. It's just just not the same. I uh, primarily used just uh, acrylic paint mixed with water, and uh, yeah, that's that's the basis. And uh, for outdoor mural mural work, I primarily stick to the same acrylic latex paint and done with brushes. Um, my partner and I have been able to uh, really develop. A, a basis of skill for that and and also been able to work uh with we on what it takes to fill large-scale works i've really incorporated into my practice the ability to take the mental the mind aspects of of yourself and then pair that with the the body and the emotional side and, and in in the end I, I do view view it as um A spiritual practice in the sense that you're taking psychic energy that you're thinking of during the day daydreaming or any thought you have that that captivates your attention and and makes you feel moved in some sort of way to um, carry that with you into the painting and try to recreate those experiences and emotions while you're painting. So for me, it's a all-encompassing act of the mind, body, emotion, and, and spirit. So a lot of my work that um, I draw inspiration from comes from those moments that transcend the day-to-day and bring me into that point of inspiration that that makes me excited to work out on the canvas. So a lot of um, hiking and camping and uh, meditation and also just physical exertions that that push the body to a point where the mind is in a flow state. I don't do too much preparatory sketches, like um, keeping a daily log of, of all that. I. I like to capture that feeling and and uh, try to embody it through the creation of the work, and that's where the the joy and the reflection and also the deeper understanding comes for me when when I'm creating. So it really serves as a practice to um, uh, reflect on those experiences. In the past couple of years, I've I've been able to connect. With my um, Okanagan identity um, through the Silks uh, knowledge keepers, and there was one project that I did um, alongside my partner, and it was a table, and it was a, a feast table that was made at um, a university on the Penticton Indian Reserve uh, called the Anelkin Center, and. It was very special because my dad and my brother created it. and it, it's at a center that is um, it's uh, bringing indigenous knowledge forward through um, knowledge keepers and students. and and it was it was a special time because the art making for me has has really deepened a better sense of who I am and that took a period of being away from my family, discovering what I was interested in and, and developing it, and then being able to share that with my family. And then the community at large was uh, was really coming full circle in a way. And we ended up being able to have a ceremony and a feast on the table. So. It was also very functional and bringing people together and sharing stories and sharing a meal. So, for me, I'd like to continue in that in that tradition and and look um, towards making art that that connects to community and to tradition and in in a way that uh, honors the past but also expands and and innovates from what what has been passed down so it, it it makes you feel grateful just to be uh a part of that a part of that lineage and the art you make isn't your own but it's it's uh it's informed by those that have taught you those that, that have raised you and those that are in the community within those values so the art reinforces those values and uh, celebrates it in a way that goes beyond the individual artist.
0: Paige Bowman is an illustrator who is constantly inspired by the natural world. Their childhood growing up on the West Coast enriched their upbringing with a passion for wildlife and the aesthetic of flora and fauna. Spending many summers exploring BC's hundreds of provincial parks and being so close to the water has made them passionate about navigating the endless metaphors that exist in nature and what it means to be human in our infinitely alive and complex universe.
3: My name is Paige Bowman. Um, I'm a non-binary illustrator. Um, I currently live in so-called Vancouver, but I'm originally from uh, so-called Victoria or the um, Hosseinich-Lekwigan territory. My work is mostly centered around animals, around the organic world, Um, really focuses on visual metaphor, with regards to like identity um mental health um and folklore folklore imagery um so like retelling of folklore and storytelling through a contemporary identity centric lens um i use a lot of traditional medium i use uh, mostly watercolor and gouache in my practice i don't do a lot of planning in my work um just like from the from the start like it's it's really um a lot of accidental mark making so so using a medium that is doesn't have a lot of control from the get go. Allows for a lot of that accidental mark making and and fun. And then on the flip side, like gouache is like a little bit more conservative, being a bit more opaque. And acrylic gouache in particular is the gouache I use. Um, it's like a little bit more structured. <laughs> so that's like the maximum amount of of control in any medium that I want to have. Lately, I've been getting more into digital with animation um, and motion graphics. But I also do a lot of that work including my traditional practice as well. So kind of hybridizing the two. I feel like when I'm translating to digital, I'm scanning a lot and then bringing that image in. And when it comes to animation, um, my process is kind of rendering a traditional image into some sort of a puppet. So I'll have that initial initial flat painting, but digitally I can take parts of it um, and separate them in layers. And when I separate them, I can go in and then work underneath the areas that have been cut away from in the separation process and kind of add those parts that you wouldn't otherwise see um, when it's a flat traditional image, if that makes sense. So it's not necessarily like digital is good for replicating the marks, because I still feel like it'll never be as as good as the real thing. Again, going back to that, like accidental mark making thing. So um so I'm never really trying to replicate it digitally. I'm more just using digital as a way to add more dimension, if that makes sense. I get I get really bored easily. I get I get tired of the same thing um, pretty quickly. So I'm really I'm really curious. I'm like I'm just interested in in constantly pushing myself or at least trying new things. My work has changed dramatically, um, especially if you look at it from like a timeline of the last like five or six years. Um, I was really locked into using monochrome palettes, like black and white. I was super terrified of color. And somewhere along the way, um, color became part of my practice, I think once I started introducing paint more. And now it's funny because I look back on that period and I'm like, I can see parts of my practice that I'm still into, but I can see parts of it also that I'm just like, could not be further away from, or at least like less interested in. I feel like I'm always trying to look towards a new way of like disrupting or messing with what I'm currently doing. And as a result, it makes my practice change pretty rapidly or go through eras pretty rapidly. I really like using cheap and like not great brushes, like dollar store brushes or just like things that have been caked on. Obviously, for certain circumstances, I do have my like nice brushes that I don't want anything bad to happen to. But um, a lot of the brushes I use just as my daily ones are, are like frayed and bristled and damaged. And I feel like that allows for a lot of mark making that is, again, like out of control and, and textural. So anytime I feel like the start of an image or the, the ground in which I'm working with is like a little bit too linear, that's when I start employing materials that have a little bit more of that kind of X. Ex- eccentric kind of you know dynamic element to them and and that really like promotes a lot of um textural building and kind of making strange lines that then I'll go in and like control those lines it's like organized chaos in a little way like starting with with a foundation of like okay this is going to go some direction or this is going to end up this way let's see how it goes and then if I really like it then I'll go in with the tools that are a bit more precise and like really highlight those or accentuate those or carry that throughout in a more like I guess if that's the like original organic strange texture then I'll go in and do an artificial recreation of that texture to like build out the rest of the composition. I'm really I'm a really big advocate for like anyone fostering creativity no matter who you are or where you are in your life i really want to like i really want to open up the door to or at least like help encourage people to have more play and like incorporate more creativity in their in their lives um i've worked with kids a lot in in an art making context and like i have heard or like been witness to so much um like self-criticism, especially with like the younger generation or the like new incoming generation, I think it's like um, a result of social media um, and a lot of art shown on social media being like perfectionist or at least like artists that are like hyperrealism or like really really technical, like showing off their skills, which are like obviously great skills, but they're showing them in a in a really restricted medium like TikTok or or Instagram where you have like one minute to speed up and edit a video of you making something from start to finish and it's like it's perfect in every way and I feel like the the deluge of of content like that is telling kids that unless they're making work that's perfect from start to finish they're not a good artist and yeah it just sucks because I've like I've seen kids talk about that or I've seen kids express that working with them in a creative environment or like the first few lines or the first few marks they make are not landing the way they want to. So they're like, forget it. Like, I don't want to do this. Like I can't do it. And I'm like, but that's, that's the best part. Like you figuring it out or experimenting or playing is what it's all about. It's not about being hyper precise or technically proficient. It's about expressing yourself. So I guess in terms of like leaving an impact or like something to just like impart on the world i would really want that to be it like also just that art is for everyone um art should be part of our lives no matter who we are no matter what your class distinction is like um you should be able to have the opportunity to engage with art whether that's public art sculpture you know galleries that are open and run by other artists that are not part of the gallery system um you know democratize and, um, and I don't want to say socialize art, but but make it accessible for everyone. Like, I, I I really want to be able to be part of that aspect of the art community. I see so much of my own um, child self in my work these days. Um, and if I'm not, if I'm frustrated or if I'm stuck, I really try and inv- evoke that child self and that child curiosity. Um, I find myself getting locked into repetition or um, comfort, especially when I'm in like periods of um, work where I have a lot of client work, and I'm just kind of like producing and keeping things like rigid and straightforward, and trying not to overcomplicate or or get out of what I know. I feel like it's when I'm locked in that headspace is when I'm like, okay, I need to break out, make something for myself, and I need to tap into that curiosity and into that naivety or expressive self so I feel like that whole ideology that I'm really into feeds back into my own practice when I need it the most so that like stuff speaks to me as it being an important thing to just remember I have piles of sketchbooks I have in just in the cupboard behind me like sketchbooks dating back to grade nine I'm a huge fan of sketchbooks. I think they're one of the the greatest avenues of making work because they're so uncontained by formality. I think they're like a really, they're a really vulnerable place. I've always treated my sketchbooks sort of almost like diaries, mostly because my, my own like internal processing is largely through drawing rather than writing. So I can like specifically, almost like anthropologically, like date back certain points of my life just based on the drawings that I was making. <laughs> so... Yes, I I I yeah, I always has always had a sketchbook and I'm a huge proponent for sketchbooks. I'm also a huge proponent for them being messy and being ugly and being filled with whatever the hell you want to have in them. I think the trend of like perfect beautiful portfolio style sketchbooks is like kind of like an ant- antithetical to the purpose of a sketchbook, but some artists are also just so good that like whatever they consider to be rough and raw or whatever, are like already like beautiful finished pieces in a sketchbook. So I don't know. It, it depends, but, but yeah, I love, I love sketchbooks. In and around 2018, the summer of 2018, I was mentoring under um, my friend and um longtime art legend in Vancouver, Drew Young. Um, I was working with him as his like assistant for his main assistant for Vancouver mural festival that summer. And I was in my, going into my fourth year of school at Sheridan. So I was living in Ontario at the time and I moved back to Vancouver to do my mentorship with Drew. And then I moved back to finish my schooling. And in that summer, I think I really broke through quite a few barriers. I like previous to that had dropped out of Emily Carr. I was kind of going through an identity crisis. I was going through a bit of a like art identity crisis, um, the, the weight of the world was feeling very intense to me um, and I was also feeling a little disillusioned in my practice so I was kind of at this like crossroads artistically and then I took a year off and then started up again at Sheridan in, in the end of 2017 into 2018 and I got such an interesting and different perspective on art making when I switched to schools. Um, I was also like I think surrounded by a lot of um, faculty that were really passionate um, and really intense about illustration from like a spiritual level. So I had my, I, th- I had my ass like kind of raked over the coals a little bit, <laughs> which was really good. Um, but it forced me to really kind of like look inward and be a bit more expressive and a bit more curious about the marks that I was making, about the drawings I was making. And actually, like one of my profs in third year really like spoke directly to my inner child um inadvertently i don't think he realized it in the moment but he totally did and it caused me to go back and be like oh, what do i actually like to draw what do i actually like to make so as a result that summer when i was doing my um mentorship i was bouncing around so much i was like effectively homeless for the summer i was sleeping on people's couches i was in a relationship at the start of the summer but that fell through after about a month. So I had like a stable place to live and then I didn't. Um, so the emotional toll of that and the like identity related toll of that. So many things compiled in that summer for me emotionally, spiritually, and also just practically based on the people I was surrounded by that um, my art just like, like phew, it got so good. Um, personally, I think it did. <laughs> good in the sense that I felt aligned aligned more with my work than ever before. And I think I've just been kind of coasting off that since then. I vividly remember, like, I think the first morning after I left my ex's home and um, I had slept on my friend's couch and I was just trying to figure out where to go from there, essentially. And I still had this mentorship job. So I was still responsible to showing up and, and doing a, a large amount of work. I, um, I bought a bunch of highlighters and I had this sketchbook that had some gray tone paper inside of it and the gray tone paper takes the neon tones and actually makes them look I feel like they look better they look almost creamier than they do on white um and I was playing with the highlighters um like using highlighter color as the base and then black lines on top that I think really broke through my sense of color or my ideas or like rules around color at the time um And I, I use a lot of neon still today, like a lot of neon pigmented paint, but there was a period of time back then when I was like really leaning on highlighters as being like the foundation of color, which, yeah, I don't think a lot of people look to highlighters as being a good coloring tool, but you know, there's something about neon that's cool just as like a a property of color because you can't actually capture it digitally. Like it's something that only your eyes receive. So Unless you have like a risograph printer or like a certain kind of screen printing ink like you can't really um, you can't really artificially replicate neons like there's, there's only really like by hand with a with the highlighter. So, yeah, that was a period of time where color was like really starting to shift and become a dominant part of my practice. I feel like 2020 and 2021 were a bit of a lull for me creatively creatively and I think that makes sense given what was happening globally. <laughs> Um, but my wheels are starting to kick up again after this year and I'm starting to feel more inspired and motivated. So, so next year, it's just hopefully more of that. I'm going to be in Europe for a couple months next year, which I'm looking forward to. It's the first time I'm like going to be away, um, from here for a long period of time. So I'm sure that'll come with a lot of inspiration and, and new, new adventures and discoveries that will feed back into my work. Um, but yeah, who knows? I I have ADHD. So that means that like my ability to focus or conceptualize concrete and linear things like time is just kind of fucked up. (laughs) Um, I like the best descriptor of being able to use is like my brain looks at ideas and concepts or planning more as like cosmic sort of thing, rather than like a timeline. So ideas and, and, um plans kind of like exist at various levels of distance from each other and sometimes they're closer and sometimes they're farther and sometimes they you know burst into flames and die out and sometimes (laughs) they they are born I don't know it's like it's all just like yeah that might be cool how do I get there I'm gonna ping pong off 10 different ways of getting there and maybe get there and or maybe those 10 different things might end up going in a different direction and that's cool too like you know um I try to be really in the present um I think that's like a really a really good thing. It's nice to be stayed and present, but it works against me um, sometimes. So, you can't really I can't really have all of all of the planning skills. So I'll just take what I have currently, which is staying really in the now.
0: I hope you found this episode a useful tool to reflect on the untapped New Year. How will you continue to renew, experiment, and evolve in 2023? We'll be carrying on the conversation virtually through Artist Talks, where you'll have the chance to ask your questions to this podcast panel and to engage in the dialogue around art and creativity. More details can be found in our e-blasts and on our recently revamped website, opusartsupplies.com. I'd like to thank Salan, Cody and Paige for catching up with me. And of course, to all of you for tuning in.
1: Till next time.